Hey guys, and welcome back to Young to Live By. Now, first of all, I want to thank you all for your patience over the last couple of weeks or so with the seemingly hiatus in video production. And the reason for that, if you, you probably tell actually with my very bare backdrop behind myself, is that I've moved house now. I've moved to be close to where Steve and Pauline reside so that we can essentially start season two of Young to Live By with a brand new video setup. You know, gone are the days of the webcam and Zoom and everything else like that. Because we thought, you know, why not up our production value to match what we believe to be the importance of the material that we're trying to get across to you guys. So that's that's exciting. It's been it's been a strange couple of weeks to be honest. About two weeks without Wi-Fi, which is basically a human rights abuse as far as I'm concerned. Um, but yeah, the, the next few videos you're going to see on the channel are sort of ones we recorded just before this process. So we've got a few more Ask a Depth psychologists to go out, and then hopefully by that point, although no promises, we should be ready with our new video setup. So of course that's very exciting. And indeed we've got a few more big announcements to come very, very soon as well. There's been, you know, may not have been videos on the channel for the last couple of weeks, but there's been a lot happening behind the scenes. We're all very excited to announce this stuff to you because I think there's some stuff in there you guys are gonna really like. So yeah, uh, today we've got three questions for Ask a Depth Psychologist. And of course, as always, if you want to get involved in that process, you can do so, you're more than welcome to do so. If you sign up at the $10 tier or higher on Patreon, then you can submit a question into our Discord server and then we'll answer it in as much detail as we possibly can. Uh, first question today was all about deja vu and what that might mean from a Jungian perspective. Because, you know, it's, it's something that everyone experiences. It's something which can be profound to people. So what is it? What is it? It's an exciting question. Uh, the second question was all about complexes. Which essentially, it's like, hey, guys, I, I don't have my own lab. I don't have my own sort of medical center. I don't have a capnograph. I've got none of this stuff. But I'd like to identify my own complexes, if that's possible. So how do I go about doing this? So, you know, I think we, we had a good fun answering that question, too. Uh, and the final question was quite a long one from an individual that, that clearly put a lot of care and consideration into the question. And it was all about typology. Um, and the, the basic idea is I'm doing a good job with uh, you know, balancing myself out in terms of typology. I am, I am X type and I'm looking at my inferior tertiary and my tertiary functions and I'm doing a good job at sort of getting in touch with those that I balance myself out. But I'm concerned that if I go down this path and I feel like I can do it and I am doing it, that I might get complacent and I might get kind of chill with the process and therefore all of the potential that I perceive myself to have and this individual definitely does have might not become manifest and it was described by by the guy as an individuation short circuit and uh, I, I, I quite like that phrase so um, yeah with, with it, so I guess thank you everybody and without any further ado I'll kick the first question to Steve in the not too recent past and it goes as such what is deja vu from the Jungian perspective? Is it merely the psyche catching on to abstract patterns to make predictions, or is it accessing what is pre-programmed and thus confirming the idea of destiny? Yeah, interesting uh, question. Um, I think it's fair to say that if you give a Jungian perspective, then you need to know the context of a specific. Um, other than that, it's difficult to give a blanket response in terms of it being Jungian. Um, these things definitely happen and it is a matter of resolution with respect to how you conceive of a whole situation before you can give a proper response to that. Um, 
in a clinical sense, then I think we've said before that the more in depth you work, the more likely things like this start to stack up. Uh, and then deja vus as such would begin to blend into synchronicities, which would then begin to blend into paranormal or parapsychological phenomenon. And that this is normal when, you, when you're working in depth clinically. So that can happen. With respect to everyday life, we all experience it. But then there's an issue mm -hmm. of attribution. What do we attribute the cause to that uh, to be? Um, and for that, you really do need to understand the context of the person and the situation. Um, otherwise, you will potentially just become reductive in whichever response that you take to that, either by saying, yes, this is paranormal, or no, it's not, it's just simple pattern <clears throat> recognition. Because both of those hypotheses are in and of themselves valid in a general sense, but to resolve it down to a specific, that, that's different, and that must involve the whole context. Now, as you say, um, with a depth psychology context, you have to add in the unconscious perception by way of the unconscious as young conceived of it uh, and then to get into a synchronistic element you need to look even deeper than that in, in terms of the meaning that can be ascribed to it either directly from consciousness or that emerges spontaneously from within with that sense of certainty that these things have for people who experience them that's part of why they report them so yeah it, it could be any of those things and it really does depend upon the context so you really do know what it is you're looking at with the highest possible level of confidence before you make a response on it but in broad terms yes it could be any of those but context specific what do you think well we've, we've experienced these things all the time ourselves don't we yeah we, we do indeed mm. I, I think you're right to say it's context specific mm. otherwise it, it's hard to um assign any kind of meaning to the content isn't yeah. it and yeah. uh, as with all things uh, particularly clinical things um the individual context is important and what the content might mean for that person yeah. uh, at that moment in their yeah. life so um yeah. yeah it does come back to that yeah i mean deja vu that sense of this has happened before yeah um in my own experience that's happened <clears throat> when something has happened externally and i've remembered a dream that appears to mirror it that happened earlier so it was a kind of a confirmation of an apparent precognition if you like that then materializes back into consciousness as a sense of deja vu um that's happened a lot and it all depends on the level of activation of my own psyche and i may not even be paying conscious attention to that as such and this is probably normal for most people who experience it but when it's activated, you do get that connection and it then becomes a whole situation which you relate to cognitively and emotionally, intuitively and even through your sensing function yeah. because the environment may suddenly turn up in intensity in relation to a dream which may have had a particular level of intensity. So you get all of these correspondences occurring at the same time. Well, maybe not. Maybe it's just a thought that drifts into your mind, some vagary that yeah this has happened before or something like it has happened before you do get skeptical parapsychologists professional skeptics who seem to enjoy mm. doing everything they can to reductively debunk this kind of thing as they do with with all such uh, so-called parapsychological phenomenon um, i accept them for who and what they are in their context but i don't see a correspondence between that context and say clinical work because they never go there 
it's it's territory that they never touch and there's probably something about their mindset that determines the kind of results mm. they get from their experiments and also something about their mindset that determines how they interpret things a priori to the experiences anyway so uh, i guess that if i was to give any sort of uh, opinion on it, it it would be take things as they happen and look for the context and then resolve for yourself something that fits with the overall situation as far as you can uh, we have got a second question now from, from Nightchild, and he asks, in the absence of a capnography test, how does one identify a complex? Is this done through the personal myth exclusively, or can it be done through analyzing symptomatology that exists somewhere on the biopsychosocial level? In other words, what do you look for to identify the specific complex that needs to be addressed in an individual? Okay, if, if that's a, a clinical um, situation you're referring to, then assessments is important and it's it's layered you can go on the case history the anamnesis has reported and you abstract out from that simply on a symptomatic basis also on the presentation of the person you can do a formal assessments and you james are familiar with how they're done in this approach they're uh, very very structured uh, go beyond anything cbt has to offer for example very very detailed um he said in the absence of capnography, well, capnography would be more to do with searching deeper once you've got some information perhaps, but you could use word association tests as an example. Uh, with respect to the personal myth, then that will be a kind of archeology, span if you like, that a person has undergone <coughs> to extend their conscious awareness of what may have contributed to a specific complex. So all of those things can, can play their part. Again, it just depends upon the presentation in the moment, but very often, and you will know this, James, because of the training that you're going through, that perception of a person broadly in terms of just about everything about them, including how they emit energy in person to you, how they move, how they posture themselves, the emotional inflection in their voice, uh, eye movements, everything, all of this can give you a real-time read on the presence of a complex and then in how they speak because you can detect quite easily that the presence of active complexes within a pattern of speech that a person makes and very often that person is unconscious of the fact that the complex is simultaneously present and filtering and distorting what they're saying because complexes will <clears throat> present themselves in such a way, if you like, as to say, I'm here, but you can't see me, both to the person who's suffering from them, and also as a challenge to the therapist, because they'll be embedded in that person's totality, their physicality of being, what they're saying, all of these things. And it's as if it wants to say, I'm here, but you can't see me. And if you point me out, I'll just disappear back into the unconscious of this person. And they'll deny <clears throat> that it's there as well. But over long clinical experience you get used to this it's as if you're encountering the same phenomenon albeit it's being expressed through the individuality of the person that you're with so a lot of these things are very valid sorry paul you're going to say no no i was just i was uh, reminded as you were talking really about um certainly for for women with respect to animus possession um there are there are definite characteristics qualities to do with speech like you say for example yeah. that can be detected so sometimes women who are animus possess will um, 
talk in in a loud insistent kind of way with it with a um almost a masculine quality to their voice the tone of their voice might lower for example um and um obviously there are uh, characteristic things that they tend to to say as well but uh, i think you're right steve you you have to um you have to look at how these things are embedded yeah. um, <clears throat> in the way that people uh, present themselves yeah. and uh, you, ha you have to be lit literally respond to that on a moment by moment basis because yeah. if, if it's a complex and it's ego identified essentially that person has no consciousness that they're doing That's it a good point. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and um, so it's a kind of a it's almost like a, a real-time analysis mm. of what is going on and yeah when very often when you often when you point these things out people are quite surprised mm. by it mm. because essentially they think you know they and it are are one, are one they, yeah. they are identical yeah. in effect yeah, but they a, yeah yeah but when um when you can help somebody to catch it out real time mm. in, in themselves it's often uh, an enlightening moment for them yeah you know that they actually see that this thing has been speaking them or behaving them in that moment yeah. uh, typology is not a good way to catch our complexes because a person's expressed type will conceal just as often as it reveals what a complex is although you should consider that the, the typology is just the medium of expression of deeper structures within the personality and does not itself define them so for example if somebody is thinking intuitive sorry thinking introverted dominance and a certain kind of ego identified complex takes over that that uh, function, then the person is going to be completely unaware of it, uh, and that will be difficult to help that person to see that what they thought were their own thoughts are not theirs at all, but they're being directed to think in a particular way that includes a confirmation bias that protects the complex from scrutiny by the introverted thinking function because introverted thinking likes to think in, pol in polarities it enjoys them it enjoys mm. dialectic and the problem with that is that when you get a resolution to a polarity it tends to produce another if you like hegelian hypothesis or thesis then you get an antithesis and so on and so introverted thinking types can be locked in that kind of circular logic that just reproduces itself continuously so if you get a complex that seizes hold of that that's very very difficult for an introverted thinking dominant type of person to disidentify from so in that sense uh, typology doesn't help on the other hand as well when people answer things like the myers-briggs it could well be a complex that's answering it and by a complex i could mean something as prosaic or ordinary if you like as the maladaptation to a family or to an influential member of the family will then shape a person's perception of themselves and then shape the expression of their personality but it's not their true personality at all mm. also typology is not character the difference character is deeper than personality type so you have to be really careful about using typology to identify complexes perhaps except to say that the type can express the complex in a hidden form although you can make a prediction where the type is uh, is accuracy enough about how a person will break down under pressure um but that's taking somebody who is 
normal under normal conditions, if you like, statistical conditions, who then becomes overwhelmed and will, will fracture according to the lines of their adapted type. But what you do see is that the person who is so fracturing doesn't see it. Other people will see it first. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a difficult one overall, but it's a really good question, my child, really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think those are good, good, good answers as well, guys. Um, I, I want to bolster that, actually, because of what I've seen with some guys in the Discord, not Nightchild, but you know, clinically, obviously, you are looking for complexes. Like, and we have those, those assessment sheets, which you, you pointed out, Steve, which yeah. you know, some of the students would ever have access to as well. Yeah. Um, but I think it's possible to develop a complex complex if you see what I mean. But I see some guys, and I see some of the emails and DMs and everything else being like, I think I have this complex, how do I solve it? I think I've got this. So, so the resolution or the analysis starts from the idea of complex and works down, rather than say symptoms and works down. And the idea of say this stuff from a self-development perspective, which you know is a large part of these videos, it's one of the reasons why we make them, have, have, have several of them, is to become better adapted by a psychosocially essentially yeah. so it's like in which ways am i maladapted in which ways am i not happy in which ways am i misfiring in all different directions rather than start from a complex start from symptom and then work down to see what the route might be absolutely so they, they, they could clear something up for some guys as well which you know, the, the impression i get from some guys does seem to be well i've got to eliminate mother father dum, bum, 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 bum. Yeah. again it falls into that sort of strange video game model yeah, yeah. so yeah. you know yeah. to, to complexes well, can form their own complexes yeah. too it all becomes very theoretical at that point, doesn't it? And, and um, you know, the, the applicator, which is important, of course, it is to understand things theoretically, but you, you also need the application of it as well. And, and you need to be able to, to see these things as they're operating in your everyday life. Um, and it, it can be tricky, yeah, very, can't it? It can, yeah. it can be very, very tricky. Particularly, like I say, if, if, if it's an identify complex, because essentially you and it are one of the same thing, yeah. and you won't make that conscious distinction. It will only be other, you know, people really who see it. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of assessments and that structured system that yeah. we've been using for thirty years, at least, isn't it? It's for probably a yes. bit longer than that. Then one of the things that it highlights is that you can't really reduce a complex down, although it's highly structured. You might, for example, get. Um, the negative anima complex uh, operating in the area of the mother complex yeah. and at the same time operating in another area. So what are you actually looking at? Yes. Yeah. And then it turns out usually it's an issue of relating, yes. which involves other complexes wrapped around it. Mm. So yeah, you're right, James, and, and what Paul has said too, that you need to look at how a thing presents before you resolve that down to a structure. Yeah. Because the theory in itself can get in the way mm. of not only your understanding, but also how you will help a person to tackle something. So it's always in the moment. It's got to be flexible. And then eventually the theory will emerge to explain the observation. You do not try to process the observation, if you like, through a theory. Mm. Except in this case where that structured analysis and breakdown of complexes is concerned that it forces you to see the bandwidth of your of your observations uh, which is actually paradoxically a very important thing to do using structure like that so you can become flexible and then avoid that trap of falling into a duality that this is that complex and not that one you know, it's, yeah. it's always a bigger picture than mm. that this next question comes from Kiro. it's quite a long one so we might, might have to settle in it's quite an interesting one though very typological um 
It begins with, regarding typology, how does one know when one's opposite type brings value to one's life rather than lead to short-circuiting the individuation process? Context, my type is ENTJ, opposite type being ISFP. Recently, I've gotten better at integrating my lower functions, partly by listening to instinctual pressures, but also by following the footsteps of individuals with opposite and different types than me. I did this through NLP modeling, recommended by Steve. Thank you. I've gotten better at seeing my extroverted thinking for what it is, and instead I'm finding use for both my extroverted sensing and my introverted feeling. For example, regarding rest, creativity, and enjoying the smaller things in life. This has helped in reducing my suffering and brought me some enjoyment out of life. I no longer am burnt out like I used to be. My efficiency and my output of action has increased now that I've cultivated the habit of proper rest for once. I'm also spending more time at peace and at ease. This has brought value to my life, partly through leaning into my opposite type and trying to integrate my lower functions. Well, that sounds fantastic, Kiro. So well done. However, my question is, to what extent is it conducive to keep leaning into these opposite and different types of attitudes? My suspicion and my worry is that I might fall prey to a, quote, individuation short circuit, end quote, settling for less and allowing for latent potential to build again that at some point I might think that I've integrated all of my functions and that, quote, life is okay as it is, end quote, and that, quote, I'm complete as I am, end quote. The individuation journey never ends, I know this, and according to my personal myth, I seem to have a lot of potential. I'm worried that if I squander it, myself and other people will suffer unnecessarily because of this individuation short circuit, leading to an increase of my latent potential. So how does one tread this path without falling prey to this short-circuiting the individuation process? Thank you. I'll let you two take this question. Well, that's a, that's a hell of a question, and uh, it's in many different dimensions, which is yeah. appropriate, really, because people are like that. They're in many, many different dimensions. Mm. Typology, if you emphasize it, brings its own problems yeah, it because does. it forestalls mm. by its nature the way that we perceive things. That's why I recommended that, and he's followed the recommendation, which is great. Thank you for that, uh, to look at NLP modeling. Not because NLP is superior in any way to Jungian theory, but it does offer some skills which are absent in the general Jungian approach. In that sense, then, I would suggest that he goes on as he is. It's going to be a lifelong journey. He's going to need to engage with life fully, find out where the resistances are in life to him as a personality. Uh, and the resistances within and then engage on a step-by-step basis with those resistances in order to develop himself further i wouldn't worry you know he he can't short circuit individuation you just can't it's it's something that happens or it doesn't and if it does happen it's a dynamic process there will be fits and starts but definitely just engage with it one thing i would say is that one of the problems with um with a broadly psychodynamic approach to life is that it backs away from its physicality. It's, it's too cerebral. There's also a bias generally in favor of introversion. <clears throat> and I'm an introvert. But I've learned over the years the value, not only of extroversion, but also of physically engaging with life in an integrated way. To do that, then, you would need to stop identifying perhaps as closely as we might with a theoretical view of life which if we're not careful will just shift into a philosophy an idea about things rather than the doing of it engage fully with it 
engage fully in some sense with your physicality, with your physical actions as being uh, a human being engaged with your biology, if you like, properly, and then work on the alchemy of bringing those two together in an integrated way. <clears throat> if you're too physical without any mental, spiritual development, that's not going to work either, at least not as effectively, and vice versa. So engage fully with life, but where there is one drawback with a lot of the Jungian approaches is that they sit down too much, like in a chair like this, and don't do enough physically to engage not only with the environment, but with their own instincts. That's true for introverts as much as it is for extroverts. So, yeah, find out where the resistances are within yourself. And you seem to have identified one already. Really, I think what you're describing is the fact that there's almost too much theory and there's a need behind that to actualize yourself through action. And that action is a heroic thing. And it will involve rising and falling, rising and falling. It's a waveform through your life. So you, great what you've done. That's absolutely brilliant. And I'm made up to hear that you've done that. Um, and yet uh, NLP modeling is very effective. And it has its analogs in the Eastern Tantrism, for example, which are surprisingly close. So, yeah, very effective. But it will also give you a really good grounding in the senses as well, psychologically. And that should lead to a more fuller grounding, perhaps, in the physicality of engagement with the world, which is very, very important, I would say. Yeah, I, I'd agree with you, Steve. I mean, I know it's a, a gentleman here asking, asking the question, but I think it's true for women as well, um, particularly in terms of, of the animus development, the positive animus development, that they, they take action and, and initiative too in the real world and in, in a physical way. I mean, I know um, that both men and women, for example, enjoy these days going to the gym and, and yeah. working out and, and yeah. they can be physical um, in that way. But I think you're talking about a different kind of physicality. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I was, um, I was only thinking recently, for example, um, about the women in the First and Second World War, I was telling you about mm. it, about the Women's Land Army, for example, so that when the men were away fighting, um, and, and this you know, included hundreds of thousands of, of women at the time, were employed by farmers to work the land, and, and they would chop down trees and operate sawmills, they'd plough the fields, um, they'd bring in crops, they'd do lambing, they, they'd do all kinds of things. But the thing that impacted me the most was the physicality yeah. of all of that and, <clears throat> and, and um, uh, the, the action and initiative in the world. And from what I understand about it, they didn't particularly lose the femininity no, either. They didn't. That, was um, it, that was yeah. quite clear. Mm. Um, so I think, like you're saying, Steve, you, you need that balance, don't you, between you do. developing yourself uh, psychologically and maybe spiritually and also having a physical dimension to your life as well, which which is um, creative yeah. and um, which will build you and sustain you in, in a different way, in a different direction. But I, I think it has to be the two. Yeah, it does. It It, it does. It's um, the idea of it being meaningful physicality yeah. as, as well in yes. some sense. Yes, yeah. uh, that's important. Yeah, very, very important. Yeah, 
And it's one of the drawbacks of some forms of Eastern meditation is that they are too withdrawing from the world mm. and lack engagement with it. Mm. And you get that in some of the Western mystery traditions. And I would add depth psychology to that because in many ways, depth psychology has grown out of Western mystery traditions. Um, and it is too cerebral sometimes uh, and does lack activity. I mean, Jung himself did act upon the world. He did sculpt, he did chop wood, and uh, he was creative in that sense. And that was fine for him in his environment uh, and in his day and in his time. But there are some people who were set even more towards the physical beyond that or the need for it. And uh, there are some Eastern traditions that are aware of that and always have been and have utilized physicality in order to bring the spiritual into the world. But that, that's a question of an advanced form of tantrism, which I'm not aware of in the sense that it should have a correlate in the West, which is a shame. Um, yeah, meaningful activity and engagement that is constructive mm. with the environment is very, very helpful. Yeah. It is. And, and for women, again, um, who obviously not all women, but um, a lot of young women these days seem to be almost overly concerned about their appearance, about, you know, breaking a nail, <laughs> whatever it might be. Um, and I, I think because of that, because it creates a kind of a almost a fragility of mind, which you, you could argue um is also uh, one way in which the, the animus can form in a woman too, where she's kind of in a kind of a fantasy world and uh, a kind of a, a daydreamy state where she doesn't actually engage and inter interact with the real world in any kind of meaningful way, that some form of physicality is important. And to, again, to not just leave that to the world of men, mm. you know, that it's men who do those kinds of things yeah. and not women. And somehow they should just be yeah tender to and cared for and nurtured because they're kind of this sort of fragile uh, sort of thing and um, they can't engage with those sorts of things but like I say you, you only have to look to the past to see how women have, have done these things and have demonstrated that they can do these things and, and, and just how good they are for women as well psychologically to be involved in. Yeah. What we're seeing now is different though, isn't it? Because it's uh, <clears throat> it's polluted with a political ideology, is, which is catabolic. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's not producing anything of value other than the phenomenon of shit testing against men yes. and also broadly the degradation of culture. Yeah. If you want to destroy a culture, then go for the women. Mm. Get them to destroy themselves mm. and then the whole thing will start to collapse. Yeah. That's, that's the way to do it, uh, even more than with the men. And this is understood in the East, it's understood in Tibet, for example, mm -hmm. how they utilize the negative masculine uh, energy. They're, they have cultural ways of doing that. Um, and most societies can do that. But once women start to become uh, catabolic in an unstructured way, so the whole thing just starts to descend, then the very foundations of a culture and a civilization will become eroded to the point where they collapse. And yet what happened in the Second World War was a maximal emergency mm. in terms of civilization and its survival but it was handed handled sorry completely differently mm. completely mm. Uh, there's a lesson in that but then the way the political climate is going it seems people aren't supposed to have an ancestral memory even if that's only no. 70 or 80 years ago yeah. 
history is to be obliterated. Yeah. Um, terrible. Absolutely terrible. Yeah. It's a great shame because yeah. you, you can lose so much oh, yeah, by not can. looking to the you past. Can. And your instincts will insist that you find you, you recover that. And if they can't come out legitimately, they'll come out in an exaggerated, illegitimate form. Yeah. Because instinctive pressure <laughs> demands that ego consciousness, ego consciousness, adapts both to it and also to the environment. And if there's a failure to adapt either way, as to instincts or to culture or to the natural environment, then you get a massive increase in neurosis. Massive. And it can start to manifest on a cultural level. And it's happening, of course. We, we all know this. It's happening. It's manifest.